Chapter 6 of Born to Serve. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Born to Serve by Charles Monroe Sheldon. Chapter 6. A kitchen is as royal as a parlor. As Barbara walked away from the wards that afternoon, she fully thought that her social experiment was finally over and that she might as well write Finney to the dismal attempt she had made to solve even a small part of such a complex problem. But, before she had covered the short distance between the wards and her mother's, she experienced a feeling of remorse that she had given way so miserably to her passion in the interview between Mrs. Ward and herself. She even hesitated at the corner before she started down the street leading home, as if she had some serious intention of going back to ask Mrs. Ward to receive her again. But it was only a moment's pause, and then she went on and entered the house, where she soon told her mother the whole story. There were tears on Barbara's cheeks when she finished. I seem to be a total failure in every way, mother. I haven't even learned grace to control my tongue. Neither has Mrs. Ward from what you say, replied her mother, with more spirit than was usual for her. It seems to me she is the one who is most to blame. In fact, Barbara, I don't see how you could have done differently. She compelled you to leave. Oh, I don't know about that, mother. If I had not got angry. But it is all over now anyway. There is no use for me to try any more. And Barbara broke down completely, crying hard. Her mother wisely let her have her cry out, and then said, I can't help feeling glad it has all turned out as it has. You know I have never approved of your going out to service. You simply throw yourself away. I don't know, Barbara replied sadly. Somehow I cannot help feeling, mother, that I have failed to do what I ought to do, and that the regret over it will stay with me all my life. I began with a high purpose to accomplish something and I have failed utterly. You have at least tried your best. No, mother, I don't think I have. I ought to have expected just such things as those that happened today. But it's too late to do anything now, she added with a sigh. The question is, what am I to do? I expect it means going into bondman's until I can get a school. Her mother tried to comfort her, but Barbara was more depressed over the situation than she had ever been in all her life. She had met her dragon and had been completely routed, and she had even at one time thought contemptuously of the dragon. But as she went up to her room that night, she felt with great humiliation that the dragon had won and she would never again have the courage to look him in the face. The next day she sent over for her trunk, and when the expressman brought it, he handed her a note that had been given him by Mrs. Ward. Barbara opened it in some excitement, thinking it might be a request to come back. But it was a scrawl from Carl, who had at different times been encouraged by Barbara to print real letters to his father and brothers. Dear Barbara, I am very sorry you have gone. Won't you come back? I do not feel very well today. My head aches. If you will come back, I will be good to you. Your loving Carl. When she had read this note, which Mrs. Ward had let Carl send, she sat down on her trunk and cried again. It seemed all so dismal a mistake, such a waste of her life so far. She did not look forward to the future with any degree of hopefulness. 
It seemed as if all her high ambitions were destroyed and all of her ideals swept out of her life. The next two days she spent in helping her mother with some sewing and in little duties about the house. In every moment of leisure from these duties, her thought at once went back to her ambition to serve, and the more she dwelt upon it, the more hopeless she grew. It was the morning of the third day after she had left Mrs. Ward, and she was at work washing the breakfast dishes, when a note was brought to her. The reading of it stirred her pulses as she stood in the kitchen and read, My dear Barbara, Carl has been taken ill and is a very sick child. He calls for you constantly. Can you come and see him? I do not dare ask if you will come to stay again after my unkind words to you, but I am sure you will be willing to please Carl by coming to see him. The dear child is very ill indeed. Mrs. Richard Ward. Barbara went out to the sitting room at once and showed the note to her mother. Of course I will go right over there, Barbara said as she put on her hat. Will you stay if Mrs. Ward asks you to? her mother asked with a tone which conveyed curiosity mingled with dissuasion. I don't know, Barbara hesitated. I don't think she will ask me to come back. I think she will, replied Mrs. Clark, and my advice, Barbara, is that you say no. I can't bear to think of you as finally becoming nothing but a servant. Barbara did not answer. She said goodbye to her mother and started for the wards. On the way, her mother's last words smote her again and again, nothing but a servant. Was it then so low a place for a human being to fill, a place of service, where the help rendered was a necessity to a family? Was this place in society so insignificant or so contemptible that it could be characterized as nothing but service? What was worthwhile then in the world? Was it worth more to the world to paint pictures or sell dry goods or teach school or spend time in eating and drinking and dressing up for parties, as so many rich and fashionable people in society did all the time? Were these things more useful than the work she had been doing, of caring for the physical needs of a home so that it could develop in the strongest and best ways? Mrs. Ward met her at the door as she was about to ring the bell. She had evidently been looking for her out of the front window. I am so glad you have come, she said, and in a few words she explained Carl's condition. She did not say a word about the scene between herself and Barbara, and Barbara did not introduce the subject. Carl was taken down with the fever night before last. He has been steadily growing worse. Will you go right up and see him now? Mrs. Ward led the way, and Barbara followed, feeling strangely depressed, as if in anticipation of some great trouble. She sat down by Carl, and the child knew her. Little man, she said, using a term she had often given him. Are you glad to see Barbara? I am sorry you're not well, so sorry. You come to stay? asked Carl, speaking with difficulty. I'll stay with you a while, Barbara answered, glancing at Mrs. Ward, who was standing at the foot of the bed. I mean all the time, all the time, Carl repeated slowly. If your mother wants me to, replied Barbara, who, in the passage from home to the wards, had really made up her mind to stay if she was asked. Oh, I do want you to stay, Barbara, cried Mrs. Ward suddenly. Then Barbara saw that she was worn out with the care of Carl for two nights, and the housework in addition. Mr. Ward has not been able to get a nurse yet, and... And we have not begun to look around for a, a girl, Carl's sudden illness. 
I'll come back and help if you want me to, said Barbara quietly. All this time she had been holding Carl's hand. He clung to her with feverish strength. And we'll have good times in the kitchen? And will you make me another gingerbread man like Mr. Morton, same's the one we made before, you know, Barbara? Yes, yes, little man. I will do anything for you. We'll have good times together again. And you'll stay always, won't you, Barbara, always? I'm going to stay, dear. Don't talk any more now, Barbara said gently. And Carl seemed satisfied, dropping into a condition of stupor, which the doctor who called an hour later regarded with grave attention. While the doctor was attending to Carl and Mrs. Ward was anxiously standing by him, Barbara slipped down into the dining room and found matters in confusion, as she had expected. The breakfast dishes were still on the table, the kitchen fire had gone out, and all the rooms downstairs were in disorder. She quickly set to work to restore order, and when the doctor had gone and Mrs. Ward had come down, Barbara had cleaned up the dishes and the dining room and had begun to set the kitchen to rights. Mrs. Ward stepped out into the kitchen, and as Barbara was moving into the dining room for something, she suddenly threw her arms about her and cried, You don't know what it means to me to have you back again. We have had three miserable days. Carl is a very sick child. I am all worn out. She then sat down and cried nervously. Barbara felt embarrassed at first in the role of comforter, but she was quick to see how dependent Mrs. Ward had become. It was after all as woman to woman that they were related now in their common anxiety for Carl, and Barbara tried to cheer the mother by every word of encouragement she could think of while she busied herself with the necessary details of the kitchen work. In the afternoon she went over to her mother's and told her what her decision was. Mrs. Clark sadly consented and did not make so strong an objection as Barbara had feared. So the little trunk was carried again to the old room, and Barbara realized that her career had received a new beginning in some sense. She hardly knew how. One thing she felt very strongly, however, and that was that under the stress of need at the wards, she was doing exactly the right thing in going back to her life of service there. Whatever the days might have for her of opportunity in the future for large service in the greater problem, it was to her mind very clear that her immediate duty lay within the circle of this one family that needed her. She realized this more and more strongly as the next few days brought to her and the family a new and sad experience. As Carl's condition grew worse, she spent more and more of her time with him. Mrs. Ward secured a good nurse, but Carl cried in his delirium for Barbara, and she sat with him many hours of every day. She was with him when the end came, which they had all come to know was inevitable. It will always be one of the comforting thoughts of Barbara's life that she won and held the love of this child. All that came to her long after, but as this little life slowly breathed itself out in the early gray of that morning, with the weeping father and mother and the two boys as they gathered around the bed, she felt a tender sympathy for them all as if she too had been one of the members of the family. Carl had insisted to the very last on clinging to his mother and to Barbara. Each woman held a hand as the child's soul went out of the frail body to God who gave it. Mr. Morton, who had been a frequent visitor at the house during the trouble that had come upon it, was sitting by Mr. Ward that morning. 
When the end finally came, he kneeled down by Mr. Ward's side, and Barbara was conscious that the minister's strong right hand was laid in compassion on the bereaved father's hand as he prayed for consolation. Oh, our father, he cried, and his voice brought a relief even in that moment of sharp sorrow to the family. Mercifully reveal to us the happiness of the soul thou hast just caught up into thy bosom. We know he is safe in thy arms. Comfort us with the comfort which earth does not have to give. Take us also into the embrace of a love which gave an only begotten son for a dying and mourning world. The God of comfort bless this household. In the name of Christ. Amen. Two days later, after the funeral service at which Mr. Morton was present as pastor and friend, Mrs. Ward broke down completely and went to bed, leaving the care of the house and the family upon Barbara. The girl bore up under the responsibility bravely. She was conscious of the fact that she was necessary to the comfort of a home. The bonds of her service rested lightly on her because she knew she was of use in the kingdom of God. The relation between Mrs. Ward and Barbara during those days of grief became very close and affectionate. Through all the older woman's nervous and even irritable illness, Barbara nursed and attended her with admirable patience, giving her the best possible care and trying to relieve her of every possible anxiety as to the affairs of the house itself. You have been like a daughter to me, Barbara, Mrs. Ward said to her one day, three weeks after Carl's death. I do not know what would have become of us if you had not come back. Barbara was arranging her pillows, and as she stooped down over her, Mrs. Ward put an arm about Barbara's neck, drew her down, and kissed her. When Barbara raised her head, the tears shone on her face. Service has been very sweet to me, Mrs. Ward, since I returned. I have liked to believe that I have been needed. You have been a wonderful comfort to us. You are like one of the family since Carl's leaving us. We shall never forget how he loved you. It will always be a very tender memory to me, Barbara replied, and the tears of the two women flowed together, tears that brought comfort to them and at the same time united their sympathy for each other. That evening, when Mr. Ward came up after his supper with Lewis, for Alfred had gone back to college, Mrs. Ward said, after expressing her thanks, that she was recovering strength rapidly. Richard, we owe Barbara a great deal for all she has done for us in our trouble. Isn't there something we can do to show it? We certainly feel grateful to her, Mr. Ward said with thoughtful eagerness. What do you think we can do? Mrs. Ward was silent a few moments. There's that money Aunt Wallace left you in trust two years ago to educate Carl when he should be ready to enter college. Mrs. Ward's voice faltered. By the terms of the trust, the money can now be used for any benevolent or philanthropic purpose. I have heard Barbara mention a plan that might succeed if it were wisely carried out. She thinks that if a building were put up in Crawford and dedicated to the training of young women for domestic service, preparing them for competent cooks and housekeepers, that a great deal might be done to elevate the labor of the kitchen and bring intelligent American girls into it. What do you think? I think it is highly probable. At any rate, anything is preferable to the condition of things we endured before Barbara came. Anything is worth trying that will by any possibility tend to help matters. How much is Aunt Wallace's legacy? 
It amounts to about $1,500 now. That would not go far towards such a building as Barbara probably has in mind. No, but it would be a beginning, and I think I know where I could get more to go with it. Mrs. Ward was growing very much interested, and Mr. Ward was obliged to caution her against excitement, so the matter was dropped there. But in a few days, Mrs. Ward brought it up again in Barbara's presence. I think something could be done with a properly equipped building, Barbara said in answer to a question put by Mrs. Ward. They had discussed the matter several times before Mrs. Vane's invitation to Barbara to come to her evening gathering. Mrs. Ward had not yet hinted at any means for realizing such a project. How much do you suppose such a building would cost? Mrs. Ward asked, noting Barbara's growing interest. Oh, I have no real idea, almost any amount. It would cost a good deal to maintain it also. The greatest difficulty would be to secure a proper person for superintendent. And then the next thing would be to get the girls to attend the housekeeping school. I think we could find plenty of girls. I'm not so sanguine as you are, Barbara, Mrs. Ward answered slowly. But Mr. Ward and I are willing to show our faith in such an attempt by giving $2,000 towards the erection of such a building. She explained to Barbara Aunt Wallace's legacy and added that Mr. Ward had offered to put $500 more with it to make it 2000 I think Mrs. Vane and some of the other ladies in our church and society will give something so that we can begin with a pretty good building and have enough to equip and run it. Suppose you go over and see Mrs. Vane some day this week and have a talk with her about it. I will, said Barbara, tingling with eagerness. Something real and tangible seemed about to come to pass in her career. She grew excited as she thought of possibilities. A building of the kind she had dreamed of was not by any means an answer to the servant girl problem, but it was at least a real thing, and if the idea was properly worked out, it might result in great things. So she talked with herself as she sung at her work that afternoon and resolved to go over to Mrs. Vane's at once. And yet, even in the midst of her growing excitement and her genuine interest in her career, Barbara was not altogether free from a depression that had its origins in the best feeling she had ever known. This feeling was her love for the young minister, Mr. Morton. Barbara no longer tried to conceal from herself that he had become a real part of her life. The trouble in the Ward household had all tended indirectly to increase her admiration for him. With the tenderest sympathy, he had entered into the family's grief. It was only natural that in the weeks that followed Carl's death, Mr. Morton should call frequently at the house where he had become such a familiar guest in college days. Scarcely a day passed when he did not drop in for a meal or to spend part of an evening. In one way and another, Barbara met him a good deal. He was always the same earnest, gentlemanly, kindly speaker and listener. Gradually, in little moments of conversation, when Mrs. Ward was not able to come down and Mr. Ward and Morton had lingered over a little talk on social questions after tea, Barbara had taken an unconscious part in the discussion. More than once, she had with almost guilty haste gone out of the sitting room after one of those important discussions in which she had revealed a part of her ambitions to the young minister and Mr. Ward, and in the midst of her work, as she finished some kitchen task, she reproached her heart for yielding to what seemed like a hopeless affection. 
but the girl's life was opening into full blossom under the spell of a power as old as the human race as divine an instinct as religious a hunger as humanity ever knew she was more than dimly conscious of all this even in the midst of her self-reproaches but the consciousness of her position as a household servant and of his position as leader in the pulpit of the most influential church in crawford was sharply painful the gulf between them was not very deep personally she was fully as well educated along lines of general culture she was almost as equal in matters of knowledge and perception it was the social distinction that separated them and as the days went by and she felt more and more the mental stimulus of his presence and the attractiveness of his manner towards her she shrunk from the thought of the suffering the future which she was making for herself in even allowing his life to become a part of hers all this was in her mind as she went over to see mrs vane that afternoon the new plan proposed by mrs ward and the gift of the money to make it practical appealed to her ambition and she resolutely set herself to satisfy herself with the working out of her ambitions for social service saying to herself not bitterly but sadly barbara clark there is no place for love in the life you have chosen ambition is all you have any right to ah barbara is that as far as you have gone in the school of life there is nothing that can take love's place for there is nothing greater in the kingdom of god ambition may keep you busy it can never fill the place in your heart that god made to be filled she found mrs vane as nearly disturbed as she had ever seen her generally the old lady was the personification of peace what do you think was her greeting to barbara the moment she entered the house hilda has gone and got married to a worthless young fellow after two months acquaintance the first i knew of it was this morning it seems he persuaded her to marry him about a week ago to-day she says she must leave me to go and live with him i don't blame her for that but neither of them is fit to be married hilda has no more idea of what it means to make home then just then the bell rang and mrs vane went to the door barbara heard her talking earnestly to someone in the hall and the next moment she came in followed by mr morton miss clark mr morton said the old lady who seemed to enjoy barbara's sudden colouring mr morton thought he was interrupting some private conference if he came in i don't know what you want my dear but i know mr morton is interested in your plans and he may be able to help in some way yes replied mr morton with a hesitation that barbara had never noticed before in him i am truly interested in the problem miss clark is trying to work out I don't know that I am competent to give advice in the matter. There are some subjects that even a young preacher just out of the seminary does not dare to face. I think the servant problem is one of them. I came in this afternoon, Mrs. Vane, to see if you could help me in the new social settlement work we are planning for Marble Square Church. You want money out of me, young man? I see it in your face. Mrs. Vane gave him one of her sharpest looks. Go to now it's shameful for a fine-looking young fellow like you to come here and wheedle a poor old woman like me out of her hard-earned savings for your social experiments is that what you've come after too she suddenly asked wheeling around toward barbara yes replied barbara laughing with mr morton at mrs vane's pretended anger i have no social settlements to beg for 
but I want you to help me put up a building for training servants. Mrs. Vane looked from Barbara to Mr. Morton and rubbed her nose vigorously. I believe you arranged this onslaught together. You conspired to combine your good looks and your blarney to rob me of necessities for old age. Indeed, we did not, Mrs. Vane, replied Morton, with a seriousness that Barbara thought unnecessary, knowing Mrs. Vane's manner as she did. I know nothing of Miss Clark's plan. She came in first, and if she gets all your money for her work, I won't complain. Get all you can, my dear, said Mrs. Vane grimly, turning to Barbara, who with real enthusiasm told the story of Mrs. Ward's proposed gift and the possibilities of such a building if rightly managed. Mrs. Vane listened quietly until Barbara was through, and then said, I'll give ten thousand dollars. Ten, ten, thou! Barbara began trembling. I might as well go. You've got it all, Miss Clark, said Morton, rising with mock gravity. Sit down, sir, said Mrs. Vane, while the sharp eyes twinkled at Barbara's confusion. I said ten thousand. I don't think it's enough. I'll make it more after the building is up. You will need cooks and teachers and lots of help in every way. The thing will have to be endowed like a college. I see great possibilities in it. But I have never believed in scattering effort. What is the reason this building for the training of competent servants cannot be a part of the social settlement connected with the Marble Square Church? It is right in line with the rest of the things you propose, isn't it, Mr. Morton? Morton looked at Barbara, and Barbara glowed. Then she cast her eyes on the floor. Yes, I suppose such a building is in keeping with our social settlement plans, Morton replied somewhat stiffly. But Miss Clark probably wishes to work out her plans independently. There's such a thing as being too independent, quoth Mrs. Vane sharply. I suppose there is, answered Barbara faintly, and then sat silent. The thought of being in any sense connected with Mr. Morton gave her a feeling of bittersweet. Well, think it over, Mrs. Vane continued, with what seemed like unnecessary sharpness. I don't know but that I shall make the gift conditional on its being used in the social settlement plan. So you needn't ask me for any money today, sir, she said, turning to Morton. Thank you, Mrs. Vane. I know how to take a hint, he replied gravely. And then he caught Barbara's look as she glanced up from the carpet, and his tone made Barbara laugh a little nervously. He joined in it, and Mrs. Vane kept them company. I don't know what the joke is about, she said at last, as she rubbed her nose again as if in disappointment. It's just as well, perhaps, Morton said. Some jokes cannot be explained, not even by the makers of them. He seemed to make no motion to go, and after a few minutes more of general talk about the proposed house, during which nothing more was said about the settlement, Barbara rose and said she must go, as she had some work to do before tea time. Mr. Morton instantly rose also. May I walk with you, Miss Clark? My calls take me your way. Certainly, Barbara murmured, and they went out together. Mrs. Vane watched them from the window as they went past. The old lady was still rubbing her nose in some vexation. If he isn't thinking a good deal more of her than of the social settlement just now, then I'll give twenty thousand towards it instead of ten, she said, and then added, they couldn't either of them do better and if he doesn't have sense enough to know what is good for him, I'll try to help him out. Barbara and Mr. Morton walked down the street talking about everything except the proposed building and the social settlement plans. 
After the first moment of embarrassment at the thought of walking with him had passed, Barbara was relieved to feel quite at her ease. She had never looked prettier. She had a gift of vivacious conversation. Mr. Morton was not her equal in that respect, but he was at his best when he had a good talker with him. They had just finished some innocent play at repartee and were laughing over it when, as they turned the corner toward the wards, they met Mrs. Dillingham and her daughter. Instantly, Barbara's face became grave, and Mr. Morton, as he raised his hat, seemed equally sober. The Dillinghams passed them with what seemed to Barbara unusually severe faces. The light of the afternoon suddenly went out. She was no longer a college graduate, an educated young woman, the equal in everything but wealth of this glorious creature she had just passed. She was only a hired girl, a servant, and the gulf that yawned between her and the minister was too deep to be bridged. It was folly to be happy any longer. Happiness was not for her. Only ambition was left, and even that might not be possible if this social settlement plan was to be involved in hers, and... I beg pardon, Miss Clark, but did I hear you say the other night at Mrs. Vane's that you or your mother had known the Dillinghams before you came to Crawford? Mr. Morton was coming to the relief of her embarrassment. No, mother is related to one branch of the family. Mrs. Dillingham has been very kind to me since that evening, she added. I have not been courteous hardly in response to her invitation. It's a very nice family, Mr. Morton said quite tamely. Yes, Miss Dillingham is a remarkably beautiful person, don't you think? Barbara was not quite herself, or she would not have asked such a question. She is not as beautiful as someone else I know, replied Morton suddenly, and as he said it, he looked Barbara full in the face. It was one of those sudden yieldings to temptation that the young minister in a singularly strong, earnest, serious life could number on his fingers. He regretted it the minute the words were spoken, but that could not recall them. Over Barbara's face, the warm blood flowed in a deepening wave, and for a moment, her heart stood still. Then, as she walked on, she was conscious of Mr. Morton's swiftly spoken apology as he noted her distress. Pardon me, Miss Clark. I forgot myself. I will... Will you forget... Will you forgive me? Then... Barbara had murmured some reply, and he had taken off his hat very gravely and bowed as he took leave of her, and she had gone on with a flaming face and a beating heart. He asked me to forget it? I cannot, she said, as she buried her face in her hands up in her room, while the tears wet her cheeks. He asked me to forgive it, forgive him for saying what he did, but it was not anything very dreadful, she smiled, then frowned at the recollection. A silly compliment that gentlemen are in the habit of paying, but was it silly? Or was he in the habit of paying such? Was it not a real expression of what he felt? She put her hands over her ears as if to shut out the whispers that might kill her ambitions and put something else in their place. But when she went down to her work a little later, she could not shut out the picture of that afternoon. She could neither forget nor forgive. Oh, Barbara! If he could only know how his plea for forgiveness was being denied, and with a smile, not a frown in the heart. The rest of that week, Mr. Morton stayed away from Mr. Ward's, although Mr. Ward had expected him to tea on Friday. He sent a note pleading stress of church work. Mr. Ward commented on it at the table. 
Martin is killing himself already. He seems to think he can do everything. He won't last out half his days at the present rate. He needs a good wife more than anything else, Mrs. Ward said carelessly. Someone ought to manage him and tell him what to do. Yes, I suppose every woman in the church knows just the girl for him and is ready to hint her name, Mr. Ward remarked. If he marries anyone in Marble Square Parish, it will create trouble. It always does, said Mrs. Ward. I think Morton has sense enough to look out for that, replied Mr. Ward briefly. Barbara heard every word as she was serving at the table and feared lest her face might betray her. But Mrs. Ward, in whom Barbara had never confided, as she had in Mrs. Vane, did not detect anything, and Barbara found relief by retiring soon to her kitchen. The following Sunday she had an experience which added to her knowledge of the position she occupied as a servant and led up to the great crisis of her life, as she will always regard it. Since entering Mrs. Ward's family, she had not attended evening service in any of the Crawford churches, owing to her desire to spend that time with her mother. But on this particular Sunday following her interview with Mrs. Vane and her talk with Mr. Morton, she decided that she would go out to the Endeavor meeting at the Marble Square Church. There was no other service after the Christian Endeavor meeting on this Sunday evening, as it was the custom one Sunday in every month to give the whole evening to the society and its work. The minister was in the habit of attending the service and giving it his special notice sometimes by making a discreet address on the topic of the evening or by taking a part as assigned to him beforehand by the leader when barbara went in that evening the large handsome chapel of the marble square church was rapidly filling up the talented earnest handsome young preacher was very popular with the young people and the society had increased rapidly in membership and attendance since morton's arrival the usher showed barbara to a seat about halfway down the aisle as she sat down she noticed mr morton talking with a group of young people down in front when they separated he looked up and saw her and coming down the aisle he gravely shook hands and then introduced her to the young woman next to her he then went on to the door greeted some of the members coming in and then went around by a side aisle and sat down on a front seat just as the meeting began it had been a long time since Barbara had attended a Christian Endeavor meeting. She felt that she was growing rather old for it, but tonight she enjoyed it thoroughly. When the time came for Mr. Morton to speak, she was surprised to find how her anticipation of what he had to say was not spoiled by anything he said. It was all so manly, with such a genuine, real fragrance to it, so tinged with healthy humor, so helpful for real life, that it all helped her she was grateful to him like the first sermon she had heard him preach his talk tonight made her feel the value of life and the strength of effort in god's world then suddenly while she was looking at the earnest eloquent face the consciousness of the remoteness of his life from hers smote her into despair when the service was over she did not want to remain to the quiet social gathering that followed but her neighbor to whom Morton had introduced her asked her to come into the little gathering of other visitors and strangers who were being received by an introduction committee and made welcome to the society, the committee giving all strangers topic cards and other printed matter belonging to the society and introducing them to one another as well as to members. It was one of the new methods pursued by this committee to ask all strangers to sign a little card giving the address of the newcomer, 
so that someone of the society might call during the week and if necessary act as escort to the next meeting one of these cards was given to barbara and in a spirit of perversity growing out of her feeling regarding her position she signed her name and put under it the words house servant at mr ward's thirty six hamilton street it was altogether unnecessary for her to be ostentatious with her position but she was not perfect and felt an unnatural desire to test her reception right in mr morton's own society a few of the young people in the marble square church knew who she was and what she was doing and with a few exceptions she had been treated with great kindness no discrimination whatever being made but the majority of the young people did not know her and to-night she was plainly dressed her face was bearing marks of the weariness of the strain of the last month's work and it was not surprising that she was suspicious of every suggestion of a slight when the committee and the other strangers finally went out and mingled with the others in the large room barbara thought she detected a distinct coldness to her she was certain her name and her position had been whispered around among the young people as she afterward found out she did the committee an injustice as they had not told any one of her work but she was left alone in the midst of all the others and in spite of her habits of self-control and her previous experiences she began to feel a bitterness that was contrary to her sweet nature she looked around the room and noticed miss dillingham talking with a group of older girls who had begun to come into the society a little while after mr morton's call to crawford and she went over to her and spoke to her and then it was that miss dillingham who was not perfect any more than barbara did as wrong a social act as she had ever done in her life she simply nodded to barbara without saying a word and went on talking without introducing her friends to barbara or taking any other notice of her barbara instantly stepped back away from the group while her face glowed and then paled as she turned sharply around to go out of the door which was near mr morton confronted her he had witnessed the little scene you will always be welcome in our endeavor society miss clark he said while the color that mounted to his face was as deep as hers i shall never come again as long as i am a servant replied barbara in a tone as near that of passion as she had ever shown to him and with the words she opened the door and went out into the night leaving him standing there and looking at her with a look that would have made her tremble if she had lifted her face to his End of chapter 6